Hey everyone, we're getting close to wrapping our first season. This is the penultimate episode, meaning there will be one more after it, however brief that may be. A lot of work went into what you're about to hear, though, and there will be a lot of orchestral music literally written with the choir singing about the nameless god. There will be horrific sounds and so many emotions, and all of your favorite characters are not going to make it home unscathed. We want to thank you for your patience with us in bringing this episode together. It's taken us a very long time. In fact, even the voice of the young girl you're about to hear in this episode is voiced by the same actor as Ayas' son, Baron, who you heard a few episodes ago. It's, it's taken us about three years with them uh, to get to this point, and we really appreciate you joining us for this adventure. And we desperately appreciate all the people who've joined us on Patreon and allowed us to make these amazing things possible. A few things, if any characters survive this episode and the next one, we intend to do a wrap-up of their backstories in an epilogue series that'll be on the main feed. Such a series will not be as unendingly dark as you've come to know us to be. As they take place in the open world uh, that I've created and have been running since the 90s, but we do not intend to compromise on quality if this happens. Additionally, we will have a second season, which will be a new horrifying tale taking place in a completely new location with different characters, but perhaps a few familiar voices. But all this is still a ways away, so please stay subscribed to us as we have many more stories still to tell. This month, we'd also like to introduce you to a new podcast as well. Rude Tales of Magic is a madcap comedy tabletop actual play catastrophe that after only six episodes was awarded Best New Voice in Actual Play Podcasts by the AV Club. Rules light and focused on characters and stories with immersive sound design and cinematic scoring, Rude Tales of Magic is a podcast you'll be proud to share with your priest, rabbi, imam, shaman, or cool vice principal. You know where to find them. Let's play a quick demo of what they're about. When the things that birthed the gods were young, they tried their hands at creating reality. After some trial and error, they started on a second draft. But their first draft of the world, forgotten in a damp corner of creation, clung to life like mold on bread. That feral world of wild magic named itself Cordelia. Okay, thank okay. you. Okay, you're I'm welcome. I'm gonna follow my dreams. I hope you don't. Is what you want to do talk about your dad to kids? Spiders cannot die either. And, and the spiders, spiders cannot, cannot die either. I mean, well, to be fair, I'm not still sure. I'm. Sh I don't know what's happening. Are you a virgin? I would get the hell off of this campus as soon as possible. I have to give my bird. I taught him how to speak, and now he thinks he's smart in general. <laughs> like meows. Hi. Hi, I'm not taking a shit. Just pee. All right, and we're walking. Does everyone in hell know who we are now? Uh-oh. Ha-ha! Never trust a demon. Ah! Leave this place. No. Get lost, strayed. Ah. Uh. Did you tell me to get lost? I'm running. I burst one of you into flames. <laughs> Thank you all again. And on that note, let's begin. Do you seek him? You have found yourself among those who roll the dark dice. What you are about to hear happened long ago. A story brought back from the edge of oblivion, dutifully transcribed and enhanced orally to better captivate your attention. Previously, the team set off for Milmutter's Hope to find the town's missing children. Instead, something else found them. Now, while within the roaming forest, can they endure the trials to come? 
Will the team's resolve hold up? Will odds roll in their favor? Fear the strangers in your midst. Never play games of fate. Dark God. Dark Dice, Chapter 15. The Void. The ca- uh, bastion is straight ahead. We're almost there. Once we get through that archway, I think we should run. I think we should move fast. Every second counts as soon as we get into their time. As the creature showed us earlier, we are, we are experiencing time at something like ten times the difference. I agree. We haven't rejoined the footprints on the main path, but I, I can see a different path leading through a different archway in that direction. That's probably west, then. Ah, that must be the path we didn't take, the way they got here. The strange watery viscous substance, yes. Yeah, that's the one, yeah. Assuming they are indeed ahead of us. Heat lightning and clouds were also visible overhead in the direction of the Great Bastion, as if the sky itself was slowly bleeding a dark red, as opposed to the green and blues they could see in the sky in the other directions. So the real question is now, do we rest before we move through, or do we run? Do we run like the devil himself is on us here? Soren opened his primeval senses as his eyes briefly rolled back, face twitching momentarily, before he blinked and came back too. So, I still feel that thing hot on our heels. We'd better not rest, sadly. Then we move. I'm assuming the whole group runs at the speed of dwarves. Please? Yep. Alright. One, two, run! The travelers ran to the forest's edge, passing through the open field towards the portal. With a series of athletics checks, they avoided becoming winded or tripping, and without vulnerabilities, they reached it all at once. But the step through, that single step through the archway, took the team much further than expected. The stone structure that was miles away was now very immediately before them, around them, with a single footfall. They were each briefly disoriented before realizing that they now stood within the ruined edge of the great stone walls, before the mouth of the vast pit that made up its core. Large stones made up the walls around them, and a vast archway lined with powerful ruins still glowing with arcane power stood firmly behind them. Ahead was a pit, giant stones, clumps of earth entangled by roots and sections of wood and various curios, a chandelier, a chest, household goods, Statues of naked elven men and women, and so much more, were suspended in mid-air above the pit, obscuring much of their view of the pit's edges. It was Sorin who first noticed the lack of smell here, aside from a hint of ash. A sense of infinite and terrible vastness. The cavern, or whatever the pit led into, was unnerving. From this vantage, they could not see the bottom. The fortress itself was enormous crafted from large stones, each of which were easily the size of a horse or even a cart. Yet many of the stones had either melted or perhaps eroded in an extreme manner, seemingly affecting sections that were either closer to the chasm or facing it. The bastion was otherwise bare, devoid of any rooms or furnishings that had all appeared to have collapsed into the great pit below. 
So in metagame terms, you can safely imagine a giant, almost rectangular fortress that just sort of imploded into the chasm, with littered ruins and some force keeping many of these objects suspended against the will of gravity. How wide is the pit? I'm sorry, I see it, but it's like I'm not really understanding what I am seeing. The size of pretty much the entire fortress. I guess it's somewhere between 2,000 and 3,000 feet in diameter from this wall to the far one. So there's an exterior wall, a kind of courtyard, then there's the wall of the fortress or castle, and then inside that there is a big fecking huge pit. I understand. Thank you. It looks to have crumbled inwardly, and these are the same massive stones that we saw in the tunnels. Really are huge. So, 17 on perception. Um... Behind us is the big arch, and past there are two arches in view, the one we buggered through and the one off to the right. Um, I'm not sure if this archway is connected to the one or both, uh, but it seems like they're within sight, and they're both kind of towards, like, inwards towards this one. So in theory, we might be able to go in either direction when we leave. Also, Ayas, look, and I point out the tracks on the ground. I was so distracted, I, I didn't even see those. The tracks look like the children's, and they lead to a small closed trap door, which, uh, well, I can see around it, and it looks like it leads to an exposed staircase that descends into the pit. Let's get down there. I've got a crowbar. Wait, just be careful. Why? We're, we're almost there. Yeah, but there's no need to rush and get ourselves into trouble. What if there's something moving down there that we haven't seen yet? Yeah, all right, all right, all right. Just caution, all right? Yep, yeah, you're right. I'll carefully get out my crowbar, all sneaky style. I will assist you. Because I'm, I got ten strength, that's good. Oh, <laughs> do you want me to do it? I'm a bit. That might be a good idea. Yeah, move over. Here, just take the crowbar. My big moment ruined. All right, Rowena, I'll assist you. You get advantage on your strength check. Wait, there's a little pull ring. Give Ayas his crowbar back. Here. I'll grab that first. Thanks. As Rowena moved to grip the pole ring, her hand immediately jolted back in pain. And as the ring fell in the opposite direction, the door was opened. The ring's underside, lined with serrated edges, became plainly visible. She took one piercing damage, but also twelve additional poison damage for a failed constitution saving throw. Huh. A trapped trap door. You two ought to be really bloody careful of that. Fuck mine. Yeah, sorry, but at least you have poison resistance. Yeah. The damage was halved. I would have been fucked. Yeah, so... <laughs> there's a staircase down here. Seems to descend around a pit's edge or something. The stairs move circularly around, but due to the uneven nature of the walls of the pit and the floating objects, the path just sort of creeps beyond our visibility after a few hundred feet. Because there's, you know floating beds and drawers and stuff. I have never had to deal with uh, man-made traps in my life. These are new concepts to me. Somebody has any uh, experience with this? Rowena shakes her head. Ayas remains notably silent. Then I will take the front, since being equally unqualified makes me qualified. Just before we do go, Dan Soren, was there anything in the drawers or anything you think that we should have a look at? Huh? There was a, uh, you mentioned a chest of drawers. Oh, yeah. It's currently hovering over the center of the, uh, well, more like 20 feet in. All right, then. Yeah, forget that, then. We can maybe rope it if you want to. No, no, I think I'll be okay. I want to check if there is any consistency to the uh, gravity, uh, whatever they're called, anomalies? Ah, yes. Pass me a ball bearing. I want to see something. Here. 
are we trying to see if ISS balls bounce? <laughs> I just realized how dumb that sounds. Uh, so I threw it, and it just sort of suspended after dropping about a hundred feet. What I am trying to discern... Well, this would be a very unwise idea, but maybe I could jump for one of the floating beds? Are you saying that out loud? Yes, I am. The stairs are a more secure path, but if something happens, that, that is a good second option. Uh, I like having a plan B very much. I will lead, followed by Rowena and Ayas. Aye, aye. I'll bring up the rear. Soren watched their backs, his mind oddly clear for the first time in a while. Descending the staircase was dizzying. In effect added, as they passed the floating objects, but as they descended 100 feet or so, they found that the stairs became larger and larger in size, eventually no longer connecting to one another, but attached only to the wall of the chasm. A faint, pulsing purple glow became visible underneath them. The edge of the chasm itself, no longer inhibiting a view, should one wish to gaze below. Sindri's passive perception allowed him to hear a small skittering sound up ahead, as if someone or something was fleeing away from him. There might have been someone there, or something there, but it was quite a distance away. I was voice my was my disbelief of rodents in this area. Can't be rats in here. I heard something. Keep a guard up. Uh, has there ever been anything floating within like a hand reach of the stair area? At the point where he stood, Father Westpike could reach a pitcher of water. I want to like touch it with my finger. Sindri Westpike touched it and it began to spin effortlessly in place, its liquid contents dancing around the top in a scattered ring. I grab the handle if it ever goes comes towards me. Forty seconds passed, and Sindri grabbed it, noting that it held the same weight as a normal pitcher, and that the floating water where it once was slowly reached a stopping point after a few feet of slow expansion. I let go of the pitcher. It dropped at his feet, rolling toward a gap between the unconnected large stairs. It fell into the chasm below. Is it possible for me to see the source of the light from below, from here? Soren required a perception roll. Fifteen. And as he gazed below, he required a sanity saving throw. Oh, good. Uh, sixteen. Soren could see countless points of light, as though he gazed into the infinite night sky itself, but swirling, ebbing, shifting in a miasma of haze. He suddenly felt as though all of his trifles were meaningless. He began to question his purpose for being here, his very purpose for existing. He no longer felt as though his body were his own. If perhaps he should just let himself be swallowed up by the sky below. At that moment, he was transported from lack of Soma into a dreamlike state, somewhere far, far away in a different time. Departing the walled city to the north, Running through the woods, hunting, seeking more pure souls to sacrifice, magical relics. Suddenly he was transported to the stone fortress, the walls decaying, rotting. He had never seen stone rot like this before, but nonetheless he dragged an unhealthy-looking drow into the room hidden in the cellar, and he couldn't help but notice the smell of rot all around him, the whispers from his dreams finally coalescing into a glorious choir. Following his footfalls were the three glowing eyes of his benefactor, as he made short work of the drag, adding his tatters to the rest. The room shook and began to merge into the spot where he stood, 
blackness escaping the book in his hands like light from a lantern, faint at first, but rivulets of ink and blood dripping then pouring out of the pages onto the dimly lit floor, ushering the growing darkness into the room, a splotched undulation deeper into the physical page than it should have been able to manage. He let the darkness engulf him, surround him, his very memories being pulled from him as the very conduit of the ritual. He had been faithful, and he would be reborn. Now, Soren could feel the same purple glow wash over him, see it all around him. The night sky, the sky from his dreams, the memories he could now recognize as distant points within the constellations. Something seemed to approach him from below, far below. And his body shook for a moment as he watched the stars below him, calling him to jump, daring him. Soren rolled a 16, so the choice would be his own. The stars could not make him do it without some part of him accepting that his purpose had been fulfilled, and his suffering could finally come to an end. Oh, goodness me, I'm tempted. I think he can't, uh, he can't get past it. He has to jump. As this was sure to be the final action of Soren Arkwright, and no one had even noticed the subtle exchange to stop him, he could roll one final d20. Twenty. Ias noticed Soren's stare, and could tell that something was horribly wrong with Soren Arkwright. What the hells are you doing? I think he's about to jump. Soren, uh, tell, me about, uh, tell me about your favorite kill, favorite person you've killed, go on. I look back, but I'm very unresponsive. Soren! Soren looked away and back toward the miasma as he began to lean forward into a beautiful weightless dive. You will not go into the darkness below and I'm going to cast whole person on him. Like, I will do everything I need to do to make sure he doesn't move. Soren was able to make a wisdom saving throw. Seven. I'm just strumming something really quietly on the harp. Like, um, I'm holding in place, lads. I've only got a minute, so would you work fast? He should be able to speak if we need him to. So why don't why don't you just uh, let's just take a step back and in fact what I'm going to do is to whip out what's left of my silk rope and tie it nice and gently around your legs. His legs. Hey, sorry. Let's just get you away from that edge and have you here for a little sit down. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Ayas, uh, uh, what what happened? Don't you mean waist? Yeah, waist. Whatever. He's one above me, so it might be that that the stairs are really big, so I might be unable to reach his waist. Seems just like a good way to trip him. Sorry, sorry. Alright, I can reach his waist. I'll tie it around his waist. Soren, you just decided to turn and and uh, look as if you were about to jump. Soren. I had the most amazing vision, but it's faded now. Yeah, so so you're not you're not feeling like doing anything like jumping now, are you? Or uh that doesn't sound like a good idea, no. Alright. I release the spell. Someone grab the grab this last bit as well, just in case. Alright, I'm I'm backing away from the edge. Everything seems fine. Uh, I am calm. Okay. He seems to be fine. Really? You too, Rowena? Well, okay then. On on time, because I don't want to be off my guard if he decides to jump and go down. I don't want to be going with him. If you just have it loosely wrapped around your wrist, at least you'll know if he's moving. Like, if he jumps, it'll only whip around your wrist, it won't pull you off. I'm trying very hard not to look down there. You know, no, no urge to jump anymore. We're fine. Okay, let's just 
Just say it if you are. Okay. I can't do that again. The rope's going away. Let's keep descending. Um, I'm going to put my hand on uh, Father Westbite's shoulder so he knows that I'm just behind him. So if he jumps or I go to jump, we both know. The team continued a careful descent down the large stone blocks, judging each step twice before taking the leap, being careful not to focus too much on the space between, which grew as they continued more than 900 feet down the spiral. They hardly noticed that the great stone blocks were no longer affixed to the wall as they rounded a suspended crumbling tower. As the sanity of each was tested and found lacking, none of them had the resolve to admit that the stairs were in fact freely suspended over the pulsing abyss, with the growing gap between each block distracting their minds. They each took ten stress damage and never spoke of the topic for as long as they lived, too afraid that speaking of it would suddenly end the illusion, or perhaps that it would wake them from this serene hellscape into a waking reality far worse. As Father Westpike carefully gauged the next three-foot jump, landing on a very sturdy piece of suspended stone, he was the first to witness the destination of their path. A small island in the very center of the void, jutting up from its gray stone, was an ancient structure unlike anything he'd seen before. A perfectly carved stone temple, far beyond the comprehension, much less skill, of even the finest dwarven craftsmanship. Every inch of it carved with precise details that formed optical illusions, and as Father Westpike and the others around him marveled at the intricacy, they found great difficulty in placing its exact location or dimensions. The temple, the form, it seemed to move, shift, ever so slightly, as if breathing. As their eyes refocused or blinked, it shifted again and again. They could not bring themselves to count the number of sides or walls or surfaces that comprised it. The shapes that bent while forming straight lines that rose up while seeming to sink in. The only certainty was the dim yellow light and subtle hints of purple or blues that peeked through its single massive archway. Collectively failing their respective sanity throws again, they did not question the structure and began to simply accept that some things were beyond them, taking 15 stress damage. All right. In front of us must surely be the final archway, and I fear that the last bit of the journey is going to be a treacherous one. Do not concentrate on the walls. Do not concentrate on the temple. Concentrate on where you put your feet. Concentrate on each jump, because a fall now is certain to be fatal. I keep moving, one step at a time, and I... Like, make sure that both feet are planted before I try to get to the next one. And I am assuming that the next one, the the archway in the temple, is causing another time dilation, so I'm not feeling as rushed anymore. Over the next few minutes, Father Westpike and the team got within 20 feet of the archway. 15 feet. 10 feet. 5 feet. They now stood at the precipice of the great archway, beyond which was visible a massive room much larger than the exterior would lend credence to, perhaps a quarter mile or more in diameter, and very dark. Off in the distance, figures were visible, bathed in the glow of blue, purple, and yellow lights, which seemed to come from below where they stood, perhaps a second chasm. The figures are either standing still or moving very slowly. I can't be sure. Uh, How many figures? Can anyone here tell? They're really far away, so just like figures or... Statues, maybe, but probably figures. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Unless you have a telescope or uh, one of those thousand gold pieces, ridiculous spy glasses. Funny enough, unless I stole it, no. 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 Well? I've got a sensor. I've got something cooing in my pocket. That's really weird. Oh yeah, you stole her weird bird thing. I didn't steal it. it, it decided to come with me. It was useful, alright? Okay, so I'm gonna pull out the canary. <sighs> Can't believe I have to say this. Siggy, Siggy, can you hear me? I actually have some really important questions right now. The bird made no noise. Ooh. We're all looking at your bones, talk to us. That's upsetting. Is there anything you can tell me at all? I stood in the middle of the group, with everyone watching. It made no noise. Guys, can you just... just turn around? I'm not falling for that one again. Guys, I don't think this thing works if you're all looking at it. I'm gonna look anywhere but down or at your canary. I look through the archway. Same. Okay, Siggy. Is there anything it can tell us about, about where we are? You have reached the mouth of death itself. Right. The resting place of the nameless god. Right, cool, yeah. So, mouth of death, resting place. Is there any way to kill the nameless god? Such things are beyond mortals. How does one seal a god away then? Trap it. Whose blood? Blood. Yeah, any particular type of blood? What do you mean you can only seal a god away with blood? The gateway must be sealed with life. The more given, the more powerful the ward. Do not dare venture forth. Yeah, well, we dared venture forth. Can you ask the canary if the children are still safe? Do you know if the children are still safe? See for yourself. Their lifeblood could strengthen the ward. I didn't ask that, but... Is my son still safe? Nothing is safe in the domain of the nameless god. Oh. Are there any traps that we should be aware of? Is there is there anything you can tell us that we need to know? No traps lay on stone or path, but breathing dangers lurk all around. How do we kill the monsters? The usual way. Fire and steel. Right. Is there anything that anyone wants to ask the canary? Blood. Seal the arch with blood. Turn around, give in to despair. You can only bring ruination by... Well, that's, that's nothing new then. Ayas placed the cloth over the cage as the others nervously watched the twitching movements of his tail. Okay. So it's saying don't fight the nameless god, just seal it in with blood. But it said use the children because the more life, the stronger the ward. Apparently it thinks that my son might still be there a little way through in great danger. So to be clear, the Nameless God either awakens and potentially destroys the entire world, or we murder some children. Whoa, 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 we don't have to murder children. We could just give ourselves to the ward. The ward simply needs blood. It already tried to take Lady Caversfall. It can take me as well to seal the Nameless God. No, it's not happening. Look, there are a bunch of adults who brought them here. We can cut those down and we'll see where we go from there. We're not sacrificing children and people with families. It's not happening. So it said don't fight the nameless god, but we can kill the monsters and use our lucky monster hunter for that. I keep forgetting Sora's reputation as a monster hunter. Hey, fuck, if we've got to kill a bunch of monsters, we can use their blood, right? So let's do it. That's if they have blood. Do you feel in a hunter monster hunting mood, Sorin? I have never not been in a monster hunting mood my entire life. That's the most confidence you've imbued me this whole week. Just sorry to hear that. That must be very little confidence. And I march towards the gate. 
As the team stepped through the archway, they suddenly found themselves teleported within feet of the figures that moments ago were a great distance away. They now stood well within the structure, twenty feet away from a fifteen-foot-wide pit which separated them from the three children, their small silhouettes standing together, motionless, facing away from the team. From this vantage, the pit itself was revealed to be the source of light, though its exact source was unclear without venturing closer and daring a glance down the pit. I'm gonna check out the pit. On the approach, the pit appeared to be fifteen feet in diameter, but Rowena was required to roll a perception check as she looked down. Twenty-one. The pit was deceptively massive. Now clearly well over 300 feet in diameter as you looked down, and on its floors were dark patterns that physically hurt to look at, causing four psychic damage as a headache assaulted her mind. But as she looked away and up toward the children on the other side, the pit was only 15 feet in width. Returning her gaze down once more, she saw a massive inverted ziggurat covered in symbols, ruins, and perfectly carved surfaces leading toward a central hexagonal point where dark liquids pooled into unfamiliar yet baleful patterns. This reminded Rowena of the sinister altars mentioned in whispers across the most ancient of dwarven texts. Rowena could feel the malevolence in its design, and sense a presence greater than her mind's comprehension of the physical and metaphysical, and immediately understood the terrible price that these magics had wrought in blood, essence, and sacrifices. This knowledge, confirmed firsthand with her own eyes, marked her soul forever. Yet something within prevented her fraying mind from snapping in that moment, allowing her eyes to take in more detail. On each of the points of the altar, which had been both suspended and grounded, depressed yet rising, there were glowing corpses of over twenty children mixed in with the shattered forms of other creatures recognizable and aberrant. Each had given their life's essence to fuel the dark ritual, yet two spots still remained empty. And as she clotted her eyes and turned to look away, Rowena took 20 stress damage and 2 slashing damage. Ah! Don't! Don't! Just just don't look! Oh, good. I'm searching for the figures that we saw through the arch. Father Westpike slowly came to realize that a figure stood behind him. A half-dwarven teenager wearing filthy rags, her mud-caked shoes reduced to scraps of leather hanging off her bleeding feet by the previous week's journey. Ayas recognized the girl as odd, a girl from Imliter's Hope who had once fancied his son, but her expression and posture seemed off. She glared at the team hatefully, meeting their gaze with a wicked smile, eyes aglow with candle-like flames that physically burned her hair and singed the skin around her eye sockets and forehead. She opened her mouth to speak. Tim Kotsvigzik, the Hafukma, the boldest task is still ahead. Do you seek him? It's infernal. She just said the boldest task lies ahead of us, and do you seek him? No, we seek the children. The party required a charisma saving throw as she whispered a single phrase in a voice that was not entirely her own. De Sixteen. Totally fast. Twenty. Then all eyes turned to Soren, knowing, hoping. I passed with an eighteen. And thus the party in full passed one of the most important skill checks of this adventure. As their minds swam with suggestions of suicide, of sacrifice, it became clear that these ideas were alien, coming from without. They could all also see the girl for what she truly was. Odd was more than a child with flaming eyes that burned her skin under the gentle pulsing glow of the dim light below. She was something far more. 
simultaneously herself, and multiple other things all occupying the same space before them. The forms shifted together as one, each distinct, each fully real, each uniquely present yet not present all at once, for certainly only one concept, one of these shapes, could exist. A hideous creature of countless eyes and teeth stood before them, but so did a human male covered in countless scars, known to some as Silvial of Strathman, and to Ayas, the man he'd recently sold all of his shop's rope to. Soren could also see himself in the shifting form ahead, his lucky dagger firmly in the hand of his doppler. But the dagger was also in her hand, the little girl's, and Silyal's, and in a twist and flash of metal, Odd plunged the dagger into her own forearm and pulled, and tore the skin from her wrist to the elbow in a swift motion. An unexpected torrent of blood spewed forth from the open wound, splashing into one form next to the creature, the all-beast, growing with unexpected haste to form a countless concoction of eyes, mouths, claws, and tendrils. As combat began, the team's sanity was tested. Rowena glanced behind herself, behind the fifteen-foot pit, and pointed at the three huddling children. One of them she recognized to be Barrett. When all is said and done, go and save your son! Ayas gained bardic inspiration, but as Rowena's eyes darted from one of the children toward the edge of the pit, it again grew to 300 feet in diameter to her perceptions, and she took five stress damage. Uh, I'm turning around to look at this crazy little girl. I will begin to whisper discordantly in, in Elvish, and then switch over to Dwarvish, and then to Common, and just keep continually switching over and over, and, and focusing at her um, as I cast Dissonant Whispers. Hey, say Rayo, Shayla! Though the creature's collective will was stronger than Rowena's spell, the power of her words still stung its shared mind for seven psychic damage. While she and Father Westpike passed their sanity saving throw, Ayas and Soren were not so fortunate. From fifteen feet away, Ayas could in fact recognize the youths to be Daniel, Baran, and Gunther. However, with a keen perception check, based on their posture and expression, both he and Soren could tell that the boys were actually doppelgangers. The children are doppelgangers. They are our enemies. Or alternatively, Soren's gone fucking mad and we should just kill him. I'll pick the leftmost child and attempt to murder the abomination with my bow. Fourteen to hit. Eight damage to its face. <sighs> the face, eh? Well, we'll say the middle one was I as a son, Baron, so Soren hit Daniel. Phew, okay. The arrow punched clean from the child's face, just below the cheek, knocking it off balance. The boy fell into the pit, screaming, and suddenly silent. Soren was no longer confident that the children were in fact doppelgangers, taking fifteen stress damage. Not confident about anything anymore. The powerful form of Silial of Strathman swung his scimitar at his former friend Sindri Westpike. Three powerful strikes, each potentially fatal to him, rushed forth. The first was blocked by a shield, the next, Westpike's hammer, the final one cut in the air where Sindri's head was a moment before. I can't believe I missed all three attacks, but here we are. Oh my god. The blood creature in front of the team whined and bayed incoherently, forcing all within audibility to make a wisdom saving throw. The team passed, Ayas only just barely, because of the bardic inspiration. As a result, the team was able to maintain their footing on reality. The blood oozed, shambling toward Rowena, moving around her sword arm with countless mouths and claws, grabbing her shoulders, digging into them for 17 piercing damage, pulling her closer. Her eyes began to flutter, but she succeeded the test of strength required to avoid being pulled into the mass. Finally, the blood creature began to change color from a crimson dark to a sudden burst of blinding light. But Father Westpike and Rowena, the two facing the monster, both were able to avert their eyes in time. 
A giant shard of bone and chitin suddenly slammed into the ground next to Ayazinskip, missing him by inches. The shard resembled a sort of long tooth or quill from a creature, and his gaze quickly shot up to see that another shape had emerged in the skies above, dropping closer but still too far away to cleanly make out in the haze. Ayas's glowing eyes quickly moved from the flying shape to the children, whom he felt less sure were doppelgangers, to the gibbering blood beast, to the space that contained the forms of Silial, Odd, and the Beast. Uh. I'll cast a quick glance over to Sorin and say, uh, and say, yep, I thought they were as well, but thank fuck you didn't kill my kid. Nod. And so I'm going to get my rapier out and I'm going to go for this weird thing in front of, or whatever, the the girl, the, the fucking all beast, that's what I'm calling it, the all beast. I'm going to rapier the shit out of that. 15 plus whatever to hit 11 damage. Aya started forth with grace and speed, but found distancing to be extremely difficult when placing the blow of his rapier against the beast. But fortune was with him as his blade found something solid in the all-beast's face, Silial's stomach, and Oz's shoulder. Aya's confident expression turned to shock and horror at his own actions, requiring a sanity-saving throw, as the small figure before him began to cry. Oh, fuck. Aya's took 15 stress damage as he tried to rationalize his actions. He just stabbed a teenage girl, who had a crush on his son. Yeah, well, she was never any good for him. And as she reeled in pain and shock from the wound, clutching her shoulder, bleeding, terrified... Alright, I want to make sure that I understand this situation correctly. Please stop the music and stuff for a second. Thank you. Uh, it's all a bit confusing, and I want to make sure that I... That I understand it, so our listeners do as well. There's one kid who's the doppel, the potential doppel, and that child is dead. He fell into the pit. Yeah, so dead... There are two more children who may or may not be doubles on the other side of the size-changing chasm, which looks like it's only 15 feet wide until you look down. There is a gibbering mouther, the flying thing, and Ayus just stabbed the girl slash Sorin Ockright slash Silial, and it just coalesced into a, back into a girl. When he stabbed it, that's the form you all see most prominently. The one that Ayus's mind is focusing the most hard to see is he's blocking out the other two. So Silial is just gone now. Well, actually, he's there, but so is the girl in the All-Beast. It's all in one occupying the same space. The space where one body should occupy simultaneously contains the three figures that your mind independently registers as all being there apart from the others. Oh, God. Okay, thank you. Now we can start the music back up again, because I'm gonna, like, give Rowena a good slap on the back, and when I'm doing that, that is a warding bond. Boost her defense, and I'm eating some of her damage. <sighs> Stay strong, cuss. This is the last thing we need to do, and when we're out of here... And I'm going to put my shield right in front of me. I'm pushing, like, most of my body. And I'm going to start pushing the girl slash Celia back. Celia, where did you go? Rowena, already one foot in the grave, was next to act. Pulling out her dagger and stabbing towards Celia's throat for seven piercing damage. While her sanity was still secure, she took five stress damage as her blade instead caught Odd in the forehead, scarring and hurting the girl even more. But Celia was also bleeding out. I know it's not here. I know it's not here. Oh, bloody open this door. Hey, I'm ignoring it. Trusting in nothing else other than the dwarf beside her, Rowena gave her cousin Bardic inspiration with a quick song. Please don't die or I'm really gonna cry. Soren, now more confident in the forms of the children, turned to aid his injured allies, silently noted the blood monster as his hunter's mark, and let loose an arrow, slamming into its wriggling faces and claws for 14 piercing damage. Silial smiled and addressed the team. You cannot save the girl. Our fates are intertwined, so as one dies, we all die. You are too late, and nothing matters anymore. Because our Lord has returned. Behold, 
He soon consumes the world. A flurry of blows preceded his words. A hail of blade swings and claws, and teeth pushing into Father Westbrook's shield, battering it relentlessly as he stepped between the All Beast and Rowena, just in time. Both hands on his shield, with no thoughts other than to keep the beast at bay, Father Westpike was unable to parry one of the hissing, eye-covered claws that crept under his defenses, cutting deep into his weakened leg for eight slashing damage just below the knee. It was at that moment that the gibbering blood monster, comprised entirely of eyes and teeth, began to warp the very ground around it, which slowly shifted and waned, becoming almost dough-like. Father Westpike, Ias, and Soren were able to maintain their distance, but this phenomenon affected Rowena, who spent the next eight seconds trying to regain her footing as she fell knee-deep into the ground itself. Ias's keen senses caught the quick movements of the flying creature, its path directed now clearly toward the children on the other side of the chasm. There was a very real chance that one of the children was actually his son, and even more likely, that the boy would be killed by the flying horror in the next twelve seconds if he did not intervene. The time for a decision came. Right, I'm going to leave that gap. Please don't fail! Ayas gauged the distance and ran toward the chasm, requiring an athletics or acrobatics check as he ran the jump. Failure would mean certain death. Ayas felt confident as he strode toward the chasm. Six. But as his feet left the ground, his eyes unconsciously glanced downward, just for an instant. And the distance slowly got much bigger. Uncertainty crept into his mind, and even as he looked up, his son was now hundreds of feet away, and he began to slowly lose momentum. David Alt, it has been a pleasure having you on our show to voice Dear Ias Inskeep. I feel just a little bit bad about killing your first ever D&D character, but that's also kind of my job. Do you have anything you'd like to say before Ias falls to his inevitable death? Uh, oh, uh, sorry, I rolled a D8. Um, natural 20. You've got to stop doing that. Okay, here we go. But, gods be damned, nothing in the Nine Hells or the Abyss or the Domain of the Nameless Fucking God would keep Ayas from his son. The distance, the gap, the chasm itself closed back to 15 feet, and Ayas was now at the far end, his entire body shaking, but his feet firmly planted next to his son. Dad! Baron! Terrified and shaking heavily, mud on his boots, and still wearing the silver coin necklace his father gave him, Baron's smile immediately put Ayas at ease. This was his son. Of this and this alone, he was sure. Ayas also felt confident that Gunther really was a child of Ilmeter's hope. Ayas hugged his son and held him closely, tears in their eyes. Rapier still firmly in hand. I'm here, son. I'm here for you. I'm I'm gonna get us home. So why are you here? It's a long story. I'll I'll tell you once we get out of here. Now, uh, I need you and Gunther to get your heads down because something big is flying down to meet us and he doesn't look friendly. Uh, On the count of three, duck to the right. One, As Baron rolled two, to the side, Ayas pulled up his crossbow and fired off a shot, catching the flying spine devil on the shoulder for nine piercing damage. Despite its hisses of anger, Ayas standing firmly with his rapier at the ready seemed the more formidable foe. Stay the fuck away from my son! Across the chasm, Father Westpike continued to push the Albies back with his shield and began to say a prayer that would bless his allies, aiding their actions. <sighs> Lord of Light, guide our actions as we put an end to these profane rituals. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag Hashtag blessed. Hashtag not blessed because I'm 200 feet away. Fuck! No, he's 15 feet. Not for the purposes of the spell. You can bless yourself for once. Rowena, under the addling effects of the bloody gibbering mouther, could take no actions, save to run at top speed in a random direction. I'm going in the pit. No, Rowena ran directly past Cilial, who took advantage of this opportunity to swipe at her with a scimitar for 13 damage, biting deep into her shoulder and back. She took six. Ah, yes, Father Westpike spell. Rowena only took six damage as the wound began to glow white, and an identical slash appeared on Sindri's back. And 
I, for the grace of whatever the hell is going on, have one hit point left. This is now the second time the team has cheated death this combat. Soren, seeing that Ayas might be outmatched, took aim at the winged humanoid covered in spines, mentally willing the chasm to be only 15 feet across. Ooh, 16 to hit? The arrow pierced both of the devil's wings for 13 damage, causing the creature to land harder than intended directly in front of Ayas, arms swiping, DM rolling poorly. Perhaps blamed on the hard crash landing, the sharp spines and slashing talons were deflected by Ayas' perennial instincts and years of training with the rapier. You know, I've been itching to use this torturous kit all day, and I will have so much fun doing that with you. The crimson blob of mouths began to chitter once again, but none of those who could hear it were affected. Once again, Silyal and the Albies focused all of their attention on Father Westpike, who blocked all of the incoming attacks with his trusty shield. Wow, even dodging out of the way as one of its tendrils wrapped to grab around his arm. Now, face to face with the winged beast, Ayas could see that it had blue skin, a long snout, and was covered in bony chitinous spines, save for the one that was now on the ground near where they stood. He deftly tossed his crossbow up in the air as a distraction, picked up the spine in the ground, and stabbed the creature with both the spine and his rapier, catching the falling crossbow in his tail, stabbing the devil through the chest and eye for 16 damage. It was only just barely able to remain standing as the blue blood dripped thickly from its wounds, yet it still snapped and slashed at Ayas and the boys. Alright, uh, I do this as an action, I believe. So, yeah, Father Westpike, like, lifts his hammer like he's about to do the radiant strike, but instead the wounds on Rowena just starts healing magically in front of you. At the same time, he has his shield up and he's pushing it against Silial. He's pushing Silial. He's glaring at him and he's furious that this person is standing in front of him. Rowena suddenly registered her wits as she found herself more than 20 feet away from the battle taking place. She had somehow subconsciously been drawn toward the entrance gate, the only exit. I'm not gonna lie, she looks at the door. Haul ass, leave us to die. All right, well, you heard it. No, uh, that's not inspiring. Thoughts began to enter Rowena's head, rational ones. It wasn't a question of leaving her friends to die, but if they should fall, the next best action, her mind reminded her, was that she could just leave and seal the portal with her own blood. Before her, the child, Silyal and the Allbeast, battled her aging cousin while Soren dodged the blood creature, all some 20 feet away from the pit. Ah, oh, shit, that's oh, it. Um, okay, I'm just having one of those things where I don't really know what to do. Um, I could leave. I should leave. <laughs> I think we're probably fucked, but no, that would... I don't think she wants to do that. It's the smart move, but she's not going to do that. I'm going to... I'm going to run up behind the weird silly old child sodden beast thing. The thing that's going to make me take damage for hitting it. I'm going to run behind that, and then I'm going to cast something stupid. I can see three... And I can finally do the thing that is the opposite of hashtag blessed of blessed. Bane. Her mind made up. Rowena charged the creatures with her hands forward. It's a real shame that none of you are in any real pain. Silyal and the blood creature succeeded, and Rowena was unable to see if it affected the flying creature. Fuck. Soren, I don't care if you use fire, blade, or blunt. Apparently you are the master of the hunt, and I'll give him inspiration, and I'll use my movement to get within ten feet of everyone else. So, I'm not in melee range of this motherfucker because I really hurt right now. Soren, seeing that Ayas was in control of the duel, took aim at the blood monster, and so inspired by Rowena, released another shot into its shriveling form. It gave out a hideous cacophony of shrieks as it took 17 piercing damage. 
Across the chasm, the spine devil slashed its talons, hardly catching Ias's arm, more bruising than actually slashing him before damage. Zaius readied his finishing blow. At this time, the forms of Silial and the Albies continued their fury toward Father Westpike, slashing his arm for seven damage as he pulled back from his healing spell. Father Westpike was able to block the second attack, and a form that almost looked like Soren threw a dagger from the occupied space of the Albeast, catching Rowena in the shoulder for six piercing damage. In truth, hardly piercing her armor. The blood creature began to chitter again and again, but its power seemed weakened, and none of the party fell under its influence. Now it was Ayas' turn to act. Okay, sword again for flying monster, got a 16. How did the monster die? I do a twirl with the rapier that keeps the monster's grabby claws back away from me while reloading my crossbow with my tail, tossing the crossbow up into the air, catching it with my offhand and taking a casual shot to its knee. Uh, as the creature drops down in howling pain, Ice glares at it menacingly, baring his teeth and the rapier swings across at throat level, lolling its head back, almost severed but still attached because of some of the bone. In its dying spasms, I spot a kick it off the gap and it falls down in the pit and I say, don't mess with my son. Okay. Wow. Oh, shit. No, 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 no. No, I don't. No, shit. I no. asked the body into the sacrificial pit. No, no, And the no, colors no, no, that no, came no, after no, no. were so beautiful. Oh, I didn't just kick it into the sacrifice pit. That would be really, really stupid. I am literally just describing what you said you did. Fuck. As Ias turned to face the boys, the pride quickly faded from Ias's smug grin, shifting to regret as he realized his mistake. I'm just thinking I've been really, really dumb here. It, it was, uh, cinematic. I know it was cinematic, but it was stupid. Could be worse. There's literally a dagger in my chest. (sighs) At this point, I just want to give my son a hug. Accepting that he may have done something truly horrible and fulfilled a prophecy not intended for him, Aya slowly stepped forward and hugged his son. His actual son. Recovering five stress damage. Both of you, follow me and be quick. We're getting out of here. We're holding hands, buddy system, no arguments. Bias led the boys a third of the way around the pit, at the same time that Father Westpike decided, after avoiding seven out of nine attacks, that it was time for his hammer to crush bone. In the name of Pelor, I vanquish you, foul things! Father Sindri Westpike struck low and felt bone crack, smashing one of the creature's legs. And max damage, that's eleven. Still, Yal fell to one knee, and the girl cried out in agony once more clearly feeling the damage he caused and giving Father Westpike five stress damage. Silya, let her go! This has nothing to do with these children. Why are you even here? As the face of Silya looked up and opened its mouth to speak, tendrils lashed out over Father Westpike's head. But he was able to dodge out of the way just in time. Rowena dashed to her cousin's aid and placed a hand over his wounded shoulder. I'm doing fine. Do not treat me like an old bag of bones. You aren't, but you look like shite. And I'm gonna heal him for 13 hit points. What? Oh, thank you. Father Westpike's shoulder wound stitched together in an instant, along with the gash in his right forearm where Silial had cut him, not even the trace of a scar remaining. Uh, you wouldn't think rhyming is this hard when you're such a badass bard? <laughs> and I'm going to give Soren another inspiration. Soren notched another arrow and took aim. Oh, that's been nice. It's like a little vacation back here. I will keep hammering the blood monster. Soren struck the strange oozing creature in the center mass for 15 damage. Its physical size began to lessen. Now only a third of its original mass, it continued to wail to no effect and lashed out at Father Westpike with similar lack of effect. But its attack distracted Father Westpike, who did not see the blade come from Silial of Strathman, which arced upward towards Westpike's chin. It was only by a light tug of magic from Marina's music that pulled him back unconsciously, avoiding the strike almost by accident. 
A second tendril shot out from the all-beast, rushing back past Westpac, raising the quick reflexes of Soren Arkwright for six slashing damage. A final tendril lashed out in the direction of Rowena, but Father Westpike, now prepared for such an attack, pushed the amalgamation of flesh and dark steel off course. Behind them, Aias led the two boys around the pit, now almost a straight shot toward the exit, which seemed like a quarter of a mile away from where the team now stood. Aias put a tail on his son's shoulder, pulled his crossbow, and took keen aim at the shrieking blood beast. I'm not going to leave you behind, not that easily. Oh, natural 20. Aias's shot was close enough to perfect, and would have slain any lesser beast. He inflicted 25 damage upon the thing, but unfortunately the aberration did not have an anatomy, and continued to writhe and shriek while melting into the dough-like ground. Herod, heed my call and burn this creature with your sacred flame. Father Westpike called the sacred flame of his god to engulf the cacophony of creatures, but he either misjudged the distance or perhaps it moved out of the way. It was unclear. Disheartened, Father Westpike swung at the all-beast only... What? The creature suddenly vanished leaving only Silyal and the girl before reappearing a few feet to the right, slightly displaced now. And now that it was the bottom of the round, a dark rumbling shook the ground beneath the team, growing, increasing in volume like an earthquake or avalanche. A part of each individual present innately had a feeling, a very deep, primal, sinking feeling, a terrible pulling, a throbbing. As all at once, the humming, chanting, and all the sounds were suddenly replaced with a hollow silence. Then a second great reverberation shook the foundation beneath them. A gigantic hooked appendage, colossal beyond measure, clawed up from the pit, the altar below, and firmly dug itself sixty feet away from the party, shaking the entire structure. What the appendage was part of, all innately feared. But thankfully, this was not standing between the party and their escape. Run. So, in Rowena's head, here's her thought process. To recap, before we went in, there was the Great Gate all the way back at the surface, and that's the one that can be closed with blood. These smaller passages, I'm less sure about, because I haven't seen anything on them that indicates that they're blood-powered and... Oh wait, there's still a dagger in my chest. Ah! Okay, it's fancy as fuck. Ow. Ow. Fuck. Okay. So there's runes on it, and they're glowing, and with a quick glance, it's in Old Draconic. And I had a really shitty attempt at Draconic before, way back at the top, and I managed to work out that stupid-ass riddle, so... With a 24 on knowledge, I'm pretty sure it's a blood ritual dagger. <laughs> Blood-powered, and something to do with dark magics. As long as the blade is intact, the dark magics will continue, and the item powers evil with blood? It might have summoned the all-beast and attached it to the spirit of the girl. You know, screw it. Screw it. She doesn't. She doesn't know, and she doesn't have time to figure it out. I have a really dumb idea. I'm gonna hold the blade just in front of silly old slash man slash girl slash beast thing. It's, I think it's the only thing I can do. I have nothing else that could possibly break this. Um, God, I really don't want to use this. I'm gonna snap my fingers and cast Thunder Wave, specifically targeting the dagger. That's 15 thunder damage. Oh god, I hope this works. In less than six seconds, Rowena's mind raced as she pulled the dagger from her chest, held it before herself, and cast her spell. Sildial raged at her and rushed to meet her throw, but was too slow and with exactly 15 damage. The dagger shattered, exploding in a band of magical energy that knocked everyone prone. Purple and yellow flashes of light sparked where the dagger shattered, and its ruined pieces were sent in a hundred directions. In the space where the Allbeast and Sildial once occupied was only the girl. Odd, who collapsed under the thunder wave, unmoving but perhaps not dead. Rowena, her senses still dazed from the explosion, helped weary Father Westpike to his feet. Um, I'm out, I'm out. Ah, oh, help the girl, I've got nothing left. 
Rowena stumbled toward the girl, who was only in fact half-dwarven, and slung her over her shoulder before running toward the exit at full speed, followed closely by her limping cousin. Ias and the boys had already started their escape and had some distance on them, but Soren's curiosity seemed to have gotten the better of him. He was out of sorts, thinking with different memories that now resided in his head. He stared at the giant hooked appendage, easily thicker than the greatest of trees he'd seen, taller than any tower he'd laid eyes on, which admittedly were few and far between, and admired how such a thing could be magnificent and horrible all at the same time. For a moment, he briefly found himself in a silent reverence, a prayer even, before returning to a different line of thinking as Soren the Hunter. I can also finish off the gibbering thing if I take another round or two, just so I can make my peace before it really awakens. Soren had a very strange feeling that whatever was coming up the pit, it intended to consume and remake the world. But oddly, this put him at ease, as sudden flashes of light triggered memories within him. Deep, forgotten memories of finding a way into the roaming forest through dreams. Wait, yes. Carver of Dreams. That was his old name. He was a hunter of men. A seeker of the silent clan. Walking through that treacherous forest, battling giant spiders and elephants, just walking and waiting within their decaying labyrinthine castles, meeting the clay hag, betraying her limited understanding of trust, retrieving the blood, and keeping it all to himself. Soren saw his hands anoint the silent one with the skull. He saw himself kiss the silent one's feet, dancing as his faithful drank of the blood. Soren relinquished in this ecstasy the power that a single drop of that blood held. Gods, even the very smell. Did he drink too? He could not remember because the next connected memory was the destruction of the bastion. What was left of it? Working in tandem with the Silent One, finding the place where the nameless god slumbered and erasing the wards one by one. No, he couldn't drink the blood. Not yet. Not if he was to erase the wards. He had to be fully human. Had to. Then it got confusing. There were explosions, flashes. He saw the bastion itself crumbling in ruin, but he could not enter because there was work to do. Through the stolen seeing stone, Soren could see the young man, Silyal, and told him that there was a way into the bastion, sent him visions of the map through his dreams. But the process took too long, was too draining, and by the time he nearly finished his mission, Soren was no longer in the forest, no longer under those familiar stars. He was under an alien sky with no memories to call his own, except his name and his general trade. But was this the dream? Or was the dream that he'd never been a monster hunter named Soren Arkwright, a man who had friends worth fighting for? As Soren passed this test of sanity, he found himself taking aim at the gibbering blood creature and releasing an arrow. With the resounding smack that followed, Soren witnessed the creature drop through the doughy ground it had cratered around itself, looked back at his allies, and chased after them, following behind by thirty feet. The nameless god in all its sinister glory was not far behind. Dark Dice, Chapter 15, The Void Starring David Alt as Ias Inskeep, Peter Lewis as Soren Arkwright, Ethor Vithyarsson as Father Sindri Westpike, Hem Cleveland as Rowena Granitepike, and Travis Van Graaff as Dungeon Master with transcriptions by Hem Cleveland. This episode featured Theo Merksimer as Odd and Baron, and Gareth Root as Silyal of Strathmoor. This episode was co-edited by Sarah Baczynski of Polarity Audio Works and Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Produced with additional editing and sound design by Travis Fengroff, with mixing and mastering by Hemlock Creek Productions. 
This episode featured music by Stephen Malin, Travis Vengroff, Kevin McLeod, Dark Fantasy Studio, Nicholas Judy, Sam Bose Miller, and Fui Madain. To support this production and get access to bonus releases, music, world lore, art, and early access to future adventures and D&D materials, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash libertypodcast. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram as at DarkDicePod. This is a Fool and Scholar production. Thank you for listening.